Hi guys, it's Andy McDonald, physio and strength coach, and welcome to the Informed Performance Podcast. On today's show, I catch up with Pete McKnight, the Director of Coaching and Sports Science at Hintzer Performance. Now, regardless of what stage you're at in your career amongst the varying performance or sports medicine disciplines, there will definitely be a lot of relatable developmental lessons that you can learn from Pete's journey and the reflection that he gives in this conversation. So you're in for a treat with this one. If you haven't done so already, then please show the Informed Performance Podcast some support and just simply subscribe. It makes a bigger difference to us podcasters than you can possibly imagine. But as promised, here is a very honest and insightful conversation with Pete McKnight. So I met Pete back in 2013 when he was the head of S&C for the French Alpine Ski Team. I personally was working with some uh, amateur skiers and snowboarders myself in the UK and my mentor Dave Rowland who had been working at UK Athletics put me in touch with Pete so I could learn from him and pick his brains. Long story short, myself and Pete had a Skype call and Pete invited me out to France during the French uh, skiers pre-season. So I went to the lovely Annecy in France and spent a week with him to learn and just get involved in a week of S&C in his environment. And I have to admit, I'm always envious of what Pete's up to professionally, whether it's uh, his time there or his time at Hintzer. So Pete, welcome to the show. It's, uh, it's good to talk to you. Well, thanks a lot, Andy. It's really a privilege to come on your show. So thanks for the, for the invitation. And it was great that you could come and spend a little bit of time with me back in, back in Annecy. It was, it was fantastic. Yeah, and I mean, you know, you went from that to then working at Hintzer, um, where you've you've probably done some decent travel as well. So I've always I always think what you're up to is very interesting, and the sort of I'm sure travel has its uh, downsides, but I also think you've you've probably had some good locations and places that you've been and seen within your career. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I I really I love traveling. Obviously, there's a, a balance with it, um, having a family, a wife, and kids. But, um, you know, I, I do like traveling. I actually grew up in um, Thailand and India. And um, and then I was in France with the French ski team, as you mentioned, for seven years. So I've spent about 25 years outside of the UK. So um, I, I do like to kind of get around different countries and see different places. Um, but like I said, you've got to balance that with, with um, you know, family commitments and, and staying sane and, and, you know, getting getting some time at home as well and, and not just being stretched in all directions. Yeah. And just for the listeners who um, might be first discovering you now, can you just kind of um, tell us a little bit about your professional journey? So we'll get, we'll get into that more in detail in the moment, but I guess what's your current role? It's probably the best place to start um, and where yes. you are now professionally. Yeah. So right now I'm the coaching and sports science director at Hintzer Performance and Hints of Performance is um, it's a company with basically two two different arms. There's a corporate health and well-being arm, and then there's a an elite sports arm. And I work on the elite sports side. There is some crossover with the um, corporate health and well-being, but pretty much um, solely um, I'm on the on the sports side. So, coaching and sports science director is is my title. Cool, and I think you know. Martin Bachet and David Carolan did a good job fairly recently um, illustrating the kind of ambiguity that exists in people's titles when they're head of performance, director, manager, um, and, and what, their what their responsibilities involve. Can you kind of break down, I guess, what your role involves, the responsibilities, and maybe the, 
the hierarchy of who works around you um, and, and what their tasks are compared to what your tasks are? Yeah, so um, I read that article. It's um, it's, a, it's a really good article, and it's it's true that it, it looks different in in every club and every different setting, and and it certainly certainly looks different um, here in Hintza. But um, basically, on the sports business, um, there's my colleague um, Dr. Luke Bennett, who um, is a medical doctor, and he is in effect um, the he he plays the role of the CEO of the sports business. He he's the head of the sports business, um, and um, and I answer to him. So I'm below him as the coaching and sports science director. Um, he's a fantastic guy, uh, a medical doctor, like I said, very pragmatic, uh, very good problem solver, thinker, practitioner, just just a great guy. Um, and and then there, there's myself, and so. Um, I look after um, a team of coaches, um, and we've got close to 40 coaches, um, and then we've got specialists as well um, in different areas like sleep and recovery specialists or um, other practitioners like nutrition, sports psychology, physiotherapy, and so on. So I coordinate and facilitate um, that whole team. So that's one of my roles. Then I set up programs in sports. So if a new sport comes to Hintza and, and wants um, some kind of sports science and medical services delivering, then um, I would work out what that program could look like in terms of the coaching, whether there's um, some remote coaching or face-to-face coaching, tracking and monitoring and, and all the systems and processes that need to get set up for the program to work. Um, and that could be feedback, reporting, innovations, research, and how we use our team as specialists to to support that sport. Then um, I lead the research that we're doing in in motorsports. Um, I also have a number of administrative ta- tasks that that I do. Then some client relations, um, leadership team meetings, whether that's on the sports business side of the company or um part of the whole whole company um so lots of lots and lots of different roles um and quite varied really yeah god it sounds it um well with all of that to do i'm very grateful you've uh, you've been able to give, give some time for the podcast it's a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts by the sounds of it um i'm probably guilty of feeding this trend at times but there's there's a lot of podcasts and webinars that we can turn to to kind of upskill and inform our practice on specific topics, whether you're, you know, a strength and conditioning coach, a sports scientist, physio, um, that those options are kind of endless at the moment. There's maybe less content and guidance on how to progress heading up performance um, as a director and how to develop into that role effectively. So in this episode and conversation, I really want to focus on that journey and transition from being let's say, a departmental guy to then becoming a director in your situation. So I don't want to kind of just list off uh, your previous roles like people typically would, not that there's anything wrong with that. But what I'd like to do instead, if we can, is to go through your background or previous roles, but kind of talk about what you got out of each of those different steps in the career and the skills or qualities that you've been able to carry forward to where you are now, if that makes sense. Yeah, sure. That, that's good. Um, so I think I'll start with some of the kind of things that are fundamentally important to me as a person. 
Um, then I want to talk about some key skills and then I'll probably um, revert back to and refer to different roles that I've had along the way as we go through the conversation. So um, I think for me, one of the most important things has been um, my kind of home life that I've felt stable and kind of happy in my home setup. And so um, throughout my career, um, I've, I've, I've kind of prioritized that. And, and yes, we've made some kind of risky decisions like quitting our jobs and, um, you know, uh, uprooting the kids and moving to France um, without a job and then finding a job and then having to learn the language and all this kind of thing. But there's still been an element of kind of stability and that has been very much around um, our family so I've been married to Miri my wife for 19 years so we were married before I even started um, my career so that's been a real um, stability there we've got three great kids three boys who are 13 12 and 10 and just having that family life and home set up as stable has been really important to me the other area has been um, goal setting so I've really um, put quite a lot of emphasis on goal setting in the past where um, I ask myself questions like, where do I want to be in five years, three years, one year? And then I try to relate my daily and monthly goals to these longer term goals, um, because we all have short term kind of goals and daily tasks that we need to get done. But often they don't align with where we want to be in, in the long term. And then we feel surprised when we don't get there. But of course, if they don't align, if our daily tasks and, and jobs and, and kind of short term goals don't align with our bigger sort of 12 month, three year, five year, even 10 year or 20 year goal, how are we ever going to get there? So I've always um, put quite a bit big emphasis um, on goal setting and really thinking, you know, where do I I want to be and what can I do now today alongside my everyday job that has to get done um, what can I do today that's going to help me get to where I want to be in the future so that was the second thing and then the third thing is surrounding myself with good people so I've always put um, an emphasis on seeking out coaching and mentoring for myself and having accountability good friends and people that I respect and look up to and peers that will hold me accountable and help me develop. And, and I'm so grateful and thankful for so many people along my journey who've really inspired me and helped me. So those three things of kind of family stability, goal setting, and then surrounding myself with good people have been kind of decisions that I've made along the way. Then I would say that there's kind of five key skills that I've really um, looked to develop and um, that I think are really important. Obviously, there's more than five skills, but this is kind of my simplified version. The, the first one is, is leadership, and that means being able to lead people and also being able to bring vision. So those are the two, two key things within leadership that I think you know quite key, so people and vision. Second one is communication. So being able to communicate a vision, cast a vision, or everyday communication with, with people, with colleagues, or public speaking. So I've worked very hard on um, public speaking, doing keynotes and delivering um, small group communication. Um, that could be 
learning how to communicate to um, key stakeholders within the the organization, the sports club, the, the business or whatever. Or, or it could even come down to chairing meetings or facilitating meetings at a small level, whether that's a departmental meeting, multidisciplinary team, or a bigger meeting with leadership within the, the sports club or, or board members or, or, or whatever. So communication is really important. The third area is building a team. So really making sure you have the right people around you. So a good selection of people with a, with a mix of skills. So people who are not like me and people who have skills that I don't have. And I've always been heavily reliant on my team, whether that be um, within the UKSCA board of directors. So I was um, on the board of directors for five years and then um, or four years and chairman for five years. So nine years um, as part of the UK Strength and Conditioning Association um, board. And so whether that be on a board or any other team, making sure I'm, I've got people that I can really rely on who bring skills that I don't have. Um, so building the right team. The fourth area of skills, I would say, is um, develop um, yourself in being good at setting up systems and processes whether that be administrative systems and processes or tracking and monitoring or reporting back to clients and stakeholders or um, parents um, or sponsors, but having systems that, that help the, the ball to keep um, rolling smoothly. So setting up good systems and processes. Um, and then the fifth area is establishing and running programs. So, um, being able to problem solve um, if a sport calls you in, being able to assess the situation um, and provide a coaching solution for that sport or for that athlete or for that group. So being able to set up, establish and run good programs that are solving a problem and, and meeting a need for the client. So I think it's really important to de develop um, skills and those are kind of the five that I've really worked um, hard on but then the final thing I would say is that along my sort of career path is I've been quite intentional in um, both de developing leadership um, and and management skills and my coaching um, so I'm from an SNC background I was a strength and conditioning coach and so I've worked I worked really hard on my strength and conditioning but I also worked worked hard on the management and the leadership side and I was quite intentional and deliberate about working on both of those and I still um, still do that now I still do some coaching with some alpine skiers and a bit with my kids rugby team but I want to still be coaching as well as leading I don't want to lose um, that side or, or you kind of lose lose touch with with what happens on, at the cold face. That was an absolutely fantastic answer, mate, and I think really well articulated uh, the question that I asked you as well. Um, I've got kind of leading on from that, I've got a question from Dan Howes, who you know, who was on the last episode with us. Um, and he asked, what, what did you take from your days at the English Institute of Sport where you would have um, been around lots of multidisciplinary practitioners who were encouraged to collaborate and share? How's that kind of helped you with where you are today? Um, it's great that Dan asked that. I really like Dan. He's a he's a fantastic guy, and we worked at the EIS um, at the same time on di different locations, but at the same time, he, he's a fantastic guy. So thanks, Dan, for the question. 
Um, you know what? My answer is really a bit simplistic, and and um, but I think that I really learned being part of multidisciplinary teams and having to work with other people that um, that strength and conditioning isn't the centre of the universe and isn't always and usually isn't the most important thing or factor. And that might sound obvious um, and, and a bit stupid, but um, one, I was quite young and green in my career when I worked at the EIS, so I probably did think strength and conditioning was the most important thing. Secondly, I'm really passionate about strength and conditioning as a discipline. I think it's fantastic. There's so much um, that it offers a as a discipline and it's so important. However, it isn't the most important thing and there's other disciplines that need to be listened to and, and other disciplines that may play bigger parts at different times. And and so learning that in, in the EIS really stood me in good stead for when I moved into um, a role as kind of a head of sports science or, or kind of um, uh, coaching director like like the role I'm in now because um, it's not just the, the kind of physical coaching or side that's important there's so many other factors and you're working with so many different disciplines or specialists experts stakeholders that you have to be able to listen to and understand understand other people's perspectives and where they're coming from and their their worldview and their uh, yeah their perspective so um, that was a, a lesson that I learned fairly early on, and I, I hope that I still, you know, remember that and give other people the respect that they're due, and I, you know, I can learn from everybody and, and listen to everybody and understand their point of view. Yeah, that makes complete sense. Um, following on from that, this is a bit of a two-part question. When when you first became a, a head of strength and conditioning, rather than uh, being a kind of coach on the ground within a department when you were in that head position for the first time, did you feel prepared um, or not? And, and and why was that the case, whichever way that goes? Um, I would say, yes, I did feel prepared. And that's not because I think I'm really good. Um, and, and I thought I was going into the role as the finished article. Not, not at all. I still had loads to learn then and I still have loads to learn now, but um and, you know, as Aristotle said, the, the more you know, the more you realize you don't know. Um, so I definitely went into the position as a learner, knowing that I, I wasn't, you know, I didn't know everything. But, yes, I, I was ready because, like I said to you before, I'd, I'd worked pretty hard at um, really trying to develop areas of, of leadership as well as coaching. And I, I just felt ready to kind of step up and, and give it a go. And I... I I really like um, taking responsibility and and um, I really felt I had something to, to give. And I also felt that and still feel that sometimes you really need to um, push yourself to to be able to learn. And I feel I learn best when I'm um, when I'm pushed and when I'm stretched and when I'm sometimes out of my depth and when I need to rely on other people. So getting a position of a head of strength and conditioning was fantastic because I was like, great, this is my time to to bring some some leadership and, and coaching but also my my chance to learn and be stretched and um I'd been part of teams and steering groups and 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 so on before and I felt I was ready for for a bigger leadership role in the workplace and I guess along the same vein for the second part of that question 
did you feel prepared when you moved up to being a director and you were overseeing all the different disciplines? Yeah, I mean, I'd say yes and no again. Like, you, you grow with the role. And um, with my role in Hintza, I only had about six or seven coaches when I started. And, and now there's kind of anything from 40 to 50 people when um, I count all the kind of specialists and, and multidisciplinary team that I, I look after. So, um, you know, that's grown over time. So you grow with the role. So, um, you know, I, I, I felt like I was I was ready, definitely. But I also felt, you know, I can I can obviously get better and as this grows hopefully I'll I'll um be prepared for it and you know sometimes I feel like I'm I'm I've got the capacities and abilities to deliver and sometimes um I think I don't and sometimes I feel like I'm delivering below where I'd like to be because there's constraints and other times I think oh no I've got to upskill and grow and learn here and um you know and and try get what I need to be able to do the role effectively um, so I think there's always going to be mixed feelings for people stepping up to roles like that, unless they kind of just land on their feet in in a job that was a bit, bit of a fluke, and then it could be a really steep learning curve. But for me, I don't think it's been um, steep. In it's kind of been fairly, um, you know, fairly linear and, and not so steep. But um, you know, there are days when yeah, you're like, whoa, this is a real steep learning curve and this is difficult and you know where's this come from and I, I wasn't prepared for this but I think on the whole it, it's it's felt fairly um fairly fluid and it's come at the right time I guess that's quite normal what you were just saying there because you know the sports performance and sports medicine world is quite it's still in its infancy really if you compare it to a lot of other industries so the advancements are quite quick and the changes are quite quick as well if you look back five years ago ten years ago where we are now is dramatically different in some ways. So I guess it's, you know, as it evolves, it's inevitable that the staff are uh, kind of playing catch up with that pace to some degree. Yeah, yeah, I think so. Um, what are the kind of typical challenges that you face in your current role then or your current environment? And is there any kind of strategies that you um, you kind of warm towards in, in terms of kind of coping with them? Um, I mean, there's there's all sorts of, challenges from day-to-day kind of firefighting where an athlete has a problem and needs something so I need to mobilize the right resources the right people or a coach needs support so I need to try and get the right people in place to to help them Um, and so that if it's a coach within our um, setup that has has faced a problem then I might think to myself well is this a problem that all the coaches are going to face and if it is therefore I need to set up um a a system to try um help solve the problem because i I think if there's an organizational problem if a coach is facing an issue because there's not the necessary support or system in place then then there's something i can do about that and most problems can be solved by having a good system or the right person or a combination of the two Um, and so it I i would think you know can I be strategic here and and make my life easy and set up a a system or a process which is going to mitigate against this happening again or help other coaches who are going to face similar issues. Um, And and so it really depends um, on on what that is. And um, like I said, most problems can be solved by having the right system or the right people. So I'm interested in 
getting both those things in place. So setting up the right systems and processes or recruiting great people who, who have a high level of ability and great character. And for me, that's very important that they're, they're great people and not just really smart or really good at their job. Um, so that's how I would kind of face most of the day-to-day challenges. Um, like I said before, I work um, very closely with Dr. Luke Bennett, who's the head of um, the sports business at Hintzer, and, and he, he's great to have um, working with because you know he's he's so able in in and got such a great skill set in in um, his role as well. And then the wider Hintzer leadership team are fantastic people. There's a high level of trust between us, so I feel you know I feel really blessed to be part of a good team where there's there's great people. Um, I think some of the other challenges that we face are from our kind of business model so we are not a centralized company so we don't have like a, a gym or a center that we work out of um, anywhere in the world we have centers that we use and tap into but we we work remotely so our athletes are scattered all around Europe and we deploy coaches to them and then we put support systems around them um, so there's there's obvious challenges with with that business model um we're also a growth company so we need to prioritize the right things for the clients and for the business um we're a um we're a corporate health and well-being and sports company so we've got two different arms like i said before we've got the corporate health and well-being arm we've got the sports um, arm so what i want to do in sports needs to be weighed up against what's the best overall strategy for the whole company and um, you know what I think is good for sport might not be the best for the whole company. Um, so there, there's all these things to take into account as well that you probably wouldn't get in in normal sports clubs, but you get them in a different way. So you might be thinking about what's um, you know kind of what's good for the sports science or the performance side of things, and and the chairman, if it's a football club or something, might be thinking um, something completely different. So. Um, there's similar kind of problems in in different ways, I guess. Yeah, no, completely. Um, this next one might be a really horrible question to ask, uh, having just acknowledged that things do move at quite a fast pace in terms of how they change. And hindsight's a very beautiful thing, but if you were going through this process again, or going through your career again from the earlier days, but now in 2020 real time, what would you advise yourself or how would you focus your development towards where you are now but if you were starting again in this current day um it's hard to pinpoint any particular skills that i would um look to develop but what i would say is i would try to be a little bit more focused um so i can I can quite I can get distracted mainly because I'm curious and inquisitive and I have a real interest in a wide area of topics and and things and and that comes with its downsides because you can very easily get distracted and so um I think in the past I've spread myself too thinly and pursued too many different projects and so maybe I could have um got to where I am now earlier in my career or maybe I could have um, just been more focused on preparing myself in general but better for for this role. Um, I've also had 
difficult times in in my career where I've had times of confusion or lack of clarity and um, and I've not really known where I, I'm I'm going. I've kind of known where I want to get to, but might have kind of lost track for a short period of time. And you know, I think with hindsight, I would have tried to work out earlier what I should focus on. Um, and I think this is normal for people. You know, we all have ups and downs, and we have um, roles that we like, roles that we like less, and um, and things change and evolve. And I think with having a family and kids, that brings challenges as well. And when your kids are young and you've got a high, uh, a demanding job or a high pressure job, it can be very difficult to to balance that. And so I think it's very normal for for most people. But I think just for me, maybe that whole thing around being a bit more focused, a bit less distracted and not spreading myself too thinly could have perhaps um, made it slightly easier. Was there any people or organizations that have perhaps inspired or, or that you've modeled how you want to do things based upon that have inspired you really? Um, there's just so many people. Um, people I met through my time at the UKSCA. I think one of the, the advantages of um, having my role on the board was that through organizing the conferences and and so on, you, I got to meet some great people within our industry. And um, so having a good network of, of lots and lots of different people has, has been great. And there's been lots of people who've inspired me. So it's hard to pinpoint. Um, but um, I'm inspired by people who teach others and people who mentor. And um, so I like, at the moment, I really like what the guys at Altus are doing. Stuart McMillan, I'm a massive fan of what they're doing because they've got these kind of two focuses. They've got this um, these two different arms that they're pursuing. One is this coaching arm of just really um, taking the, the discipline of, of track and field coaching and sprinting in particular, uh, speed training um, to, to the next level and really, really understanding it in a way that hasn't been understood before. And then the other is the educational arm of, of teaching coaches and upskilling other people. So one is coaching athletes and the other is coaching coaches. And I'm really inspired by that. I think that is such um, a great way of developing um, the discipline and developing people. And so I'd say at the moment, um, Stu McMillan and the work at Altis is one of my biggest um, in inspirations. Um, I'm a big fan. Um, but uh, like I said, anyone who kind of teaches and mentors and 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 really puts time into people, I'm inspired by. And, and lots of people have kind of inspired me from afar. So people I don't even know whose lives and coaching I've kind of um, observed and taken note of and um they probably don't even know but they've had a big impact on me and you know because I'm, I'm a big believer in people development and empowering people and I've kind of got a, a life my life mission statement at the moment because it, it may change but it's been like this for a long time maybe 10 years and that is to help people grow and develop and reach their potential 
So I'm, you know, everything I do, I want to really think about helping people grow and develop and reach their potential, whether that's athletes or coaches um, or or anyone. And so, um, you know, I myself have done mentoring of junior or aspiring performance directors. And, and so um, I'm inspired by people who do the same, who, who teach and who mentor. And, and um, yeah, so I know I've had, I haven't named many people, but um, yeah. No, I think that's perfect. I think it's helped to understand uh, why people that do inspire you have that effect, which I think is is equally just as useful to know. Yeah. This is always an inevitable question, and you've mentioned Altis, but is there any books or resources off the top of your mind that you would maybe turn people to at the moment uh, in terms of guiding their development or that you have found particularly useful? Um. So I, I love reading and um, I've, I love reading about sports. I love reading about strength and conditioning and, and fitness and training and coaching. And so I've read probably most of the classics within my discipline, strength and conditioning. Um, but I love reading um, cross-discipline and just widely about other topics. So um, business and leadership would be my two biggest topics outside of strength and conditioning and sport but then even beyond that and I've I've always done that I've always been um an avid reader I like reading biographies in particular because I think you can learn a lot from people's lives and and you know the mistakes they've made and the good decisions they've made and I just find it fascinating so I love biographies and that's not just sports biographies that that can be anything political or anybody um, I think you can learn so much. Um, so I've always been an avid reader, but I've recently been inspired by um, Bill Gates because I know he reads a lot and very, very widely. And um, I'm just inspired by what he's done in his life with his his um, philanthropy and his um, his foundation and the way he's impacting the developing world now. And he gets his inspiration from just so many broad areas, and he's just so knowledgeable in, in um, lots of areas because he reads so widely. So, you know, I like to read on finance, economics, globalization, um, languages, uh, just so so many different, different things. So to give you an example, what I'm reading now, um, I've got a book on the go called Building a Story Brand, um, by Donald Miller, and that's kind of a, a marketing book, and um, I'm absolutely loving that. Then um, I've got another book called A Call Less Ordinary, Why Your Purpose Matters, and that's written by a friend of mine called Rich Wilson, um, and that's about your your calling and your, your purpose, and fantastic book. Um, and then I've got another book that I'm just about to start when I finish the story brand one I've nearly finished, and it's called Your Best Year Ever, a five-step plan for achieving your most important goals. And that's by Michael Hyatt, who's like a leadership guy. And so that's got the whole goal setting thing that I'm, I really like in the, the planning and, and that kind of thing. And so I just like reading all sorts of stuff. Um, so it's, it, it's hard to say, oh, this book has really changed my life or, or whatever. But I would say my advice would be, to to people is like read read widely and broadly and read topics that you you might read books you might not 
did, might not agree with, read topics you might not be interested in, and just because you can learn so much. And um, and so that's kind of what I've done. And and read biographies because you can learn from people. Yeah, no, thank you. That's really helpful, actually. Um, you know, based on you, you've done a fantastic job of uh, of informing everything so far this episode. But have you got any have you got any closing thoughts or you know, anything you haven't had the opportunity to to say while you've been on? Um, I guess um, I guess one of the things I haven't spoken about so much is some of the different roles that I've had, and um, you know, I think you've been quite deliberate in wanting to do things differently but I think um, one of the things that I would say is that I've tried to take different roles um, throughout my career based around not just kind of the just take the role because it's the only job available um, but take the role because it's the role that I want and we don't always have the luxury of doing that um, because sometimes within our profession, there's not that many jobs. And so you literally just have to take the, the role that's going. But, um, but sometimes that means turning down good opportunities or seemingly good opportunities for something that you might think would actually be better. So um, I've turned down opportunities that have paid significantly more than other ones because um, either it's not fit with the family and um, my wife and kids or it's kind of in a location that we don't want to live in or it just doesn't feel right. And so one in particular, a role more than 10 years ago with the Premier League football team that was going to be many multiples, the salary that I was on, I turned down because um, I just didn't feel right about it. And, um, and I stuck with a job that paid a lot less um, because I just thought it was the right thing to do at that time. Um, and I'm not saying you should, you know, I'm not trying to say, you know, look how good I am turning down a high paid job. I don't care about money and all that because of course I, I do and money's important. And um, sometimes you take the job because it's got good money because that money, Money might allow you to do other things like really put money into your CPD and, and whatever. But what the point I'm trying to make is if you can, just make the right decision and don't just take a job because it's there on the table. You know, sometimes you might have to take a job because it's the only one there and and so you've got to make it work. But other times you can shop around a little bit and just think about what is the right role, what's the role that's going to help me develop in the right way and so another thing that's kind of happened or what what I've done is I've I've changed jobs fairly often which has got its pros and cons the the pros are that you get to see lots of different sports have lots of different roles and get um, different experiences Um, the cons are that you don't really develop an expertise a deep expertise in a certain sport um or a certain role because you're changing every two or three years which is what I've done I've changed jobs every kind of two or three years until this one well actually I was with the French ski team four years and I was with hints I've been with hints of five years and I can see myself being here a long time but previous to that I I changed every sort of two years pretty much yeah uh, 
EIS, I was there four years, but I, my role changed two or three times within that four years. So I think you've got to be just my, yeah, my advice to people would be think about what you're doing, take the role that you feel is right for you. That's going to de- help you develop the skills that you want and um, get to where you want to be and the one that fits with your family maybe if you've if you've got a partner or fits with your kids or 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 whatever your life setup and life stage is at just make make good decisions I think is what I'm trying to say no I think that would be very useful to a lot of people and and very relatable for most people out there I think as well that are working in sport so um, Mm. yeah I really appreciate your wisdom and thanks for being honest on that one um pete thanks very much for coming on are you active on social media and and if you are where's the best place for the listeners to follow you yeah so um twitter's probably the best um i am on instagram but i'm not very good on instagram i'm not claiming i'm good on twitter either but um twitter's the place where i'm most active so my twitter handle is at pete mcknight so if you want to get in touch um follow me and uh ask me to follow you back and i will and then you can direct message me um so yeah get me on twitter um or instagram cool well mate thank you so much for um giving so much wisdom then i mean i think i'm probably going to play this back a few times and make some notes myself so thanks for giving up some time and uh, really enjoyed talking to you thank you I, I really appreciate the opportunity it's an absolute privilege and just yeah great to be back in touch with you and and um i guess my final comment is um you know just keep a wide network of people because then things like this happen and it's really great that you know we met all those years ago then i get an email out of the blue to be invited to come on your podcast and i'm really grateful for that so thanks thanks for getting back in touch and and uh, thanks for having me on your podcast it's, it's been great no likewise it's been a pleasure thanks pete cheers andy all the best I'd like to thank Pete McKnight for coming on the podcast today and sharing how he's personally navigated his career and the sort of qualities and skills that he's picked up along the way. I think we can all learn something from today's episode, regardless of uh, what discipline or level we're currently at in our career. Our next guest for the show will be Phil Wagner, the founder and CEO of Sparta Science. So keep your eyes peeled on our social media accounts for the release of that one. You can find us at Inform Performance if you're on Instagram or you can find us at InformPod if you're on Twitter. I hope you enjoyed today's episode of the Inform Performance podcast and thanks for listening.